Hello everyone and welcome back to the Elevate Coaching Podcast. Today I am joined by Rosie Leach who is a self-love coach. Um, Rosie and I met earlier this year through the Fierce Femmes networking event and we actually got to spend some time together beforehand. We went for dinner, we had a lovely catch-up and I really got to know Rosie on a much deeper level and when we were talking I was like okay she's definitely going to be my friend. She was a real vibe, we just clicked straight away and I was really inspired by Rosie's journey because I think often it can be really easy from the outside looking in to assume that someone has it really easy and set in life but Rosie's had her challenges her hurdles and she's overcome a lot and she is now sharing her wisdom her power her education and skills with other men and women I believe you do work with both men and women. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited to have Rosie on the podcast today because we're going to dive into everything around self-love, what it is, how to cultivate it, how it's affecting you in your business and your personal life as well. Because a lot of our listeners here will be business owners, entrepreneurs, or just high-performing women who are really looking to level up. So Rosie, I think an excellent place for us to start is what actually is self-love? I'm sure so many people will be imagining a bubble bath and candles, but I know it's definitely not that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for the lovely introduction. And yeah, I was exactly the same when I met you. I was like, this girl's on my vibe, which I have a very small circle of people in my life over the years. I've very much chosen quality over quantity in friends. So it takes a lot for me to be like, ah, yeah, let's welcome somebody into that. So yeah, thank you for that. And I, I agree. I, I hate the narrative of bubble baths, face masks. Think instead of having a face mask and putting a face mask on, think about taking a mask off. That's what self-love mm. really is. It's, it's breaking down that barrier of who you pretend to be and working out who you actually are and loving that person. So yeah, self-love I think is probably becoming a little bit even of a, you know, a triggery word that everyone hears and everyone kind of, it's on social media everywhere, but what actually is it? And I think it can seem overwhelming when we don't really know what it is as well, because where do you start if you don't really understand something? And if lots of people have different definitions. So put very simply, it is knowing your value and acting accordingly. And when I say acting accordingly, I mean acting with your best interest at heart at all times, even on the difficult days, even when you really don't want to, even when that negative voice is kind of tapping away at you and you're thinking, oh, I wanna slip back to old habits. It's always having your best interest at heart in every single area of your life. So for a more in-depth kind of description of what that looks like, I have worked for a few years now determining what self worth and self-love are and I use those phrases interchangeably because to me whilst they have very slightly different definitions they are the same thing you don't have one without the other for me I always use them kind of interchangeably mm -hmm. but I have worked out what I think it is I think there are many definitions out there and the, the, it's broken down into three stages essentially um the last stage is possibly the most important, but you can't get there without having the other two. And it's also the stage that will probably surprise most people listening. It's the one that's not really, you know, valued or um, there's not much focus upon it in the public eye because we do think of bubble baths, self-care, all of these kind of things, which are really important, but they're all very fluffy and they're all very lovely and they're all very simple and positive and self-love isn't always that so stage number one is finding out who you are 
how can you love something that you don't know what it is? And many of us have spent years and years being different versions of ourselves. Some people will go, do you know what? I've never really felt like I know who I am. Some people have always had that kind of feeling like they're navigating through life a little bit all over the place, Mm. this kind of phase. And they're at this kind of phase. They spend time with these people. So they become more like that. And then they spend time with other people and they become more like that. And they mold into this version of maybe the expectations of their parents, the people they spend time with, the university they go to, the job they get, all of those different things. And they may have always just had this like, oh, I don't know that I know myself, that kind of lost feeling. Other people will have a strong sense of who they are and then they'll lose it. Sometimes it's things like divorce. Sometimes it's a toxic relationship. Sometimes it's becoming a parent. You know, um, a lot of mums fall into that trap of feeling guilty for even looking after themselves and losing their identity as a person because they become a mother, which, you know, I'm a mother of two children and it's hands down the most important and best job in the world, but it's also not the only thing that I am. Um, So lots of people have a sense of who they are, but they'll lose it. Some people sort of get it knocked out of them, self-love almost. They have it there and they know who they are but then a bad experience or just a difficult life-changing experience doesn't even have to be negative can change all of that. And they're like, where do I fit into this? And who actually am I? We have that kind of need to reassess things. So that first place is getting really clear on who am I? So it's sitting down and going, okay, what do I like? What's important to me? What do I value? What actually makes me happy? And you know, what are the things I need to heal from? Like, Mm -hmm. who am I? If I were to just lay myself out flat, take off my job title, take off my relationship status, take off how much money I've got, lay everything out and go like, what do I look like at a soul level? Who am I? The second step is accepting all of that. Radical self-acceptance is one of the most important parts of self-love. And it's accepting the good, the bad and the ugly. When I say self-love, people automatically think that I'm saying I'm a self-love coach and I'm going to help you love every single part of yourself for the rest of your life, every single day. Spoiler alert, that doesn't work. It doesn't happen. That's bullshit. So acceptance, if anything, is more important than this idea of a world where you're going to love yourself all the time. But if you can accept every single part of yourself because you've done the work to uncover it all, you've gone, okay, who the hell am I? Now I'm going to accept the bits I love. I'm going to accept the bits I don't really like. I'm going to accept the bits that Maybe I try and hide from other people. I'm going to come to terms with those. And I'm going to work out how I use that to work for me rather than against me. You know, people might have heard of things like shadow work. If they're well into the self-development world, it might be a term they're you know familiar with. And shadow work is one of the most important things we can do. Getting to know the bits of ourselves that we hide all the time is, is really true self-love. Um, but this acceptance, this kind of idea of going, do you know what, I'm going to make peace with myself, because essentially, we're all looking for peace. You know, one of the things I've struggled with over the years is anxiety. And actually, it's quite a lot of anxiety that can come from not knowing who you are, because it's like an internal friction all the time. You're like, well, I just don't have any certainty. I'm just kind of buzzing around that like nervous energy. I don't trust myself. There's a lot of self-doubt there. I don't really know what I want. So then you end up in situations you don't want, then you're miserable then there's just so many different things at play. And and that acceptance is what settles everything down. You kind of go, well, I know who I am and I accept who I am. Mm-hmm. And that's when you can start work on going, okay, how do I love myself? How do I do more of the things to really continue to uncover myself? And this is why I say there are two stages, these first two stages, but you will do them for the rest of your life. It's not a one and done kind of, oh, I've figured out who I am now, so I'm never going to have to work on that again. You're going to change. There's going to be 50 different versions of you over your lifetime. And I personally think that's really exciting. I can't wait to see who I am next year. 
I can't wait to see who I am in 10 years time. Like, I don't want to stay the same. If I'm staying the same, I've, I'm not growing, I'm dying. That's the way that I see that. But it does really start with this initial uncovering of who you are and accepting and starting to like and love all of those things. But the third stage and the one that I'm probably most passionate about um, and the one I think, like I said before, is kind of just undervalued and underrated. And if people follow me on Instagram, I'm known as the growth guru. So it will probably give you a bit of a, a clue as to what direction this is going in. Um, it's wanting to be better and to be more. But the intention here is really important. So it's wanting to grow and change and be those 50 versions of yourself that are even better than the one they were before. But not because you don't think you're good enough as you are, but because you know that you are 100% good enough as you are and you deserve a better life. Mm. So the intention there is really important. A lot of people will look at this third stage and if you don't like yourself, you'll go, well, I'll just change and then I'll be good enough. And that's totally the wrong intention. That is a total lack of self-love and that's where you need to be going back to step one and going, okay, who am I and where, how can I start accepting myself? But when you're somebody that's learned to love yourself and has uncovered who you are and your potential you should be striving to be the very best version of yourself. And back to those shadow parts, you should be looking at the parts that don't work for you because they're, you know, habits you've picked up over the years. Maybe you self-sabotage, uh, maybe you're a procrastinator, whatever it is, maybe you can be a bit selfish sometimes because, you know, this is one of the things, the shadow things I looked at growing up. I'm an only child. I was brought up as if I was the best thing ever since sliced bread and you know, ironically, I still spent all my teen years and most of my childhood and early adulthood dealing with anxiety and not feeling good enough, despite the fact I was told a lot by my parents that I was. Um, but I mean, there's a whole other story to my background mm -hmm. um, and lots of different factors that influence that. But, you know, it's this idea that you're moving forward and being a better version for yourself, knowing that you are enough. You're always going to be enough, but that you want to be a better version and work on that. You know, I said selfishness is the one that came up for me. I would go, well, I can be a bit selfish because I have those habits. And because I was brought up that way, how does that impact my life? Facing that was really difficult. Being like, oh, no one wants to be called a selfish person, but we can all be selfish at times. And actually being selfish, you can completely sabotage yourself. It can be a really negative behavior for yourself by being selfish. But if I didn't take the time to look at that, I couldn't change it. So for me, I had to go, well, how can I be selfish? Cool. Why do I do that? It's a habit. There's no blame here. I'm not blaming my parents for being nice to me. And I'm not blaming the fact that I'm a child, but I'm also not blaming myself for being being that way and using that habit that worked for me I'm going that's not something I align with that's not one of my values that's not who I am that's not what I want that's just a habit I picked up mm -hmm. how do I unpick that habit and how do I unpick that tendency in that way that I might lean and now you know I don't think anyone that knows me would class me as selfish and the fact my job and all those different things what I do is all about other people but it's something I'm hyper aware of because it's a part of myself that I uncovered and I was like, I don't want to do that. I want to be a better version of myself. And those habits and experiences don't define who I am right now. And they certainly don't define who I am in 20, 30, 40 years. Mm -hmm. So I think it's underrated and people don't talk about it enough, but you've got to come at it with the right intention. And that's why it's step number three. You can't do any of these things until you've got that groundwork of understanding who I am and how mm -hmm. do I accept and love that version of myself before I start 
in the intentionally correct way improving myself sorry that was probably a very long answer to no, that question <laughs> no super super helpful though because as you was talking I was realizing oh a lot of these things that I'm already doing with my clients I'm doing very similarly but in a different way so like when you're talking about like the acceptance and the growth it's like we don't have to love every single part of our body I know that I don't love every single part of my body. I actually don't like a lot of my body and that always surprises people, but I accept myself and I don't look in the mirror and talk shit to myself anymore. I look in the mirror and go, cool, that's just who I am. And I don't let it affect the clothes choices I wear, the things that I do. I don't let that affect my intimate relationship. So from like the physical realm like I can see how I actually those principles are really transferable to a lot of other areas um and then on like the growth side of things I think people always assume oh no if I get complacent and happy then I'm not going to want to change and it's like actually it's the opposite when you realize how worthy you are you then have like these whole, a whole array of new possibilities that open up to you. And like you say, that's where it gets exciting. It's like, oh shit, like I'm actually really cool. I'm actually like worthy of all of these things. And if I've already achieved this, what else can I achieve? What else can I do instead of the, ugh, I'm not good enough. I need to change. I need to be lovable. I need to be acceptable by my partner. And like we were talking before we press record on the podcast, everything comes down to intention. Like, absolutely. A hundred percent. Intention is everything. I think, um, you know, we were talking about exercise, weren't we? The intention you go from that. And a lot of the time, the outcome can be the same on paper. If I go to the gym and I do a workout and I get those gains, I do whatever I come home that's the same outcome in the short term. But if my intention, I'm going into the gym going, if I lose half a stone, I'm going to be more lovable. Yeah. Versus if I go into the gym going, well, I love and accept my body and I want to push my body as far as it can go and be the fittest, healthiest, strongest version of myself. The intention is massively different. The Mm -hmm. short term outcome is the same. That's why people can hate themselves into changing. They really can if they try hard enough but it only works in the short term. You end yeah. up burning out, you end up getting to a point where you're more miserable than you were before because your intention is I'm not good enough, so I need to change. But if you can love yourself into growing, this is the phrase that I use instead, that's where you get that long-term success. So whilst you might not have, you might be sat there thinking, but actually, if I don't, if I stop hating myself, I'm gonna see all these awful changes in my body because I'm gonna stop caring about what I look like. I'm gonna go, I, I love myself no matter what. You don't need to have that fear of like, you get to choose how you change and how you want to change. And your intention will, you know, influence the long-term results, but in a positive way. It's never going to negatively impact you because back to that initial point I said, it's about having your best interest at heart. And when you have your best interest at heart, you work your hardest. You look after yourself. You push yourself. You get out of your comfort zone. You grow more than you ever could have imagined five years, 10 years, six months ago. Like it's, you don't need to worry. I think people have this sometimes of, it's like people go, uh, what if I, I, I don't want to not care what anybody thinks of me. I think it's ridiculous to say that I don't care what anybody thinks. I care what my partner thinks about me and I should. 
because I want to be a good partner. I care what my kids about think about me and I should because I want to be a good mum. You should care about the immediate people around you and the ones that you have healthy relationships with. And you should care. We have a right to be and a duty to be functioning members of society. Where we've lost it is we care what social media think about us and we've created this kind of outer tribe that doesn't matter. But like anything, I think it's this intention and it's not generalizing. You're not going to stop making progress because you love yourself. You're not going to suddenly not care about stuff. Like you say, quite the opposite. When you start going, I love myself so much, I want the best. That's when you actually start moving a million times quicker in the right direction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I wanted to ask you, so you were speaking about self-worth and self-love. You use them interchangeably. Um, Now, can you have self-worth and or self-love if you have low self-esteem and the second part to that what actually is self-esteem so self-esteem is essentially kind of another variation on the self-worth self-love scale of things it's it's a very interchangeable bonded group of wordings that essentially we're all trying to say the same thing it's Mm -hmm. You know, self-esteem is perhaps more the confidence in your own abilities and knowing that that sense of like, I have a high sense of self-esteem. The the, the thing I would say is, can you have self-worth without it? Well, everybody has self-worth. It's not a problem as to whether you have it. It's whether you actually acknowledge that you have it. You're born with worth and you die with worth. There's nothing you can do to change it. There's nothing you can do to improve it. There's nothing you can do to reduce it. People think I have a, you know, a finite amount of self-worth and each toxic relationship each job rejection each pound I put on influences that and it chips away at it but that's not the way it matters so there is a slight loophole in your question in that everyone has self-worth it's just a matter of whether you realize that you have that or you don't and it's the belief you have Mm -hmm. around your worth but I would argue that while self-esteem and self-worth are slightly different things perhaps that self-esteem side is more realizing that you have the self-worth it's kind of that knowledge of I know who I am and confident in my abilities. Mm. I understand myself, but I would argue that ultimately, if you if you think you have a high self esteem, then you have a high level of self worth, and if you think you have no self esteem, then you have a low level of self worth. Interesting. Interesting. So, how does low self esteem, low self worth, low self love? How does that show up in someone's life? And I'm just thinking of like conversations that I have with people that often don't realize, and I don't know if you come across this, they think that they have high levels of these things. But actually, when I start working with them, it becomes really evident to me that actually they have quite low self-esteem and and low confidence in themselves, but they think that they do. So how might these things come across in typically like the high performing woman that's really like high achieving she might own a business she might have that promotion leadership roles um how how does that show up because obviously on one side they've got the career they've got the business they've got the education the the awards but then on the other hand there's obviously a deep lack of that self-worth so how does that show up for that type of woman I think one of the issues with self-worth or self-love is that it is a bit sneaky in how 
it actually filters into every area of your life. So interestingly, you say that a lot of people you work with will say, no, I have a high level of self-worth. A lot of people I initially work with don't realize that self-worth is the problem. They look at other symptoms in their lives, and I call them a symptom because nine times out of 10, self-worth is the problem, whether it's relationship, you know, breaking down, whether it's not being able to get to where you want to in your career, whether it's confidence, whether it's your body, any of those things. It's self-worth, they don't realize that's the problem. And I think that ties in with what you're saying is that it's, again, what we spoke about before, some people don't really know what it is. We talk about it a lot in our very woke society and we're all moving forward and that's great, but we also don't really talk about it in the right ways. Mm. Um, And we have portrayed an image of it that is kind of wrong, but also it is just very sneaky because primarily the problem is we've kind of been taught it's okay to have a low self-worth in all of the marketing that comes at us, even in our very, even if people are listening in the UK, it's very British culture to not celebrate yourself, to not put yourself out there, to, you know, a lot of the time you might have somebody that you know, or actually if maybe you don't know someone, maybe it's you. Some people only know how to bond by moaning or complaining or being Mm. negative. And that's a very British cultural thing that we do. We would rather say oh yeah I'm shit at that the same as you are and we bond over that by bringing ourselves down together we don't often rise up together so I think that's also some of the problem is we're taught it's okay to just not big yourself up and you're stuck up or you're arrogant or you're this or you're that if you have any level of confidence especially growing up as you know Mm. teenagers and young adults so I think some of the problem is that people don't realize it is their issue like you Mm -hmm. said to you maybe some people think they have it but actually they don't know that they don't and that's probably what's causing their problem but also that it really is the root of most of the problems out there and just this idea that we have been told it's okay to not feel like that not you know not overtly have we been told that but covertly we've been told that that actually it's okay to feel a bit shit and that makes you bond with other people and even from a, a, a tribal and evolutionary element you know years ago if we were to stand up in front of the group and go well I think I'm great that wasn't responded to very well so we we bring ourselves to the level of the people around us and most of the time we're bringing ourselves down emotionally and and I don't mean down as in people are beneath us or above us we're all the same but I mean if people feel a certain way about themselves we're much more likely to go well how do I relate to that and feel that way too and make you feel better by bringing myself there um but the ways that it does show up and things that people can look out for especially if we're talking about the high performing women and business. Um, one of the ways would be things like self-sabotage, like mm-hmm. procrastination. Um, so if you're, you've got loads of stuff to do and business is going, especially if business is going really well, and then you just find yourself taking your foot off the pedal because you're like, well, I'll just do this instead, or I don't need to do that anymore, or you know, anything that can class as a procrastination, self-sabotage, any of those kind of things is a sure sign. Self-sabotage is one of the biggest signs of low self-worth. Um, same as things like the happiness limit. So if you find that other areas of your life are going really well, you might not be comfortable with that level of happiness because you don't think you deserve it. So you'll then sabotage your own business, uh, your ability to make money, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, talking of money, if you're, a, uh, say you're a service-based uh, entrepreneur, whether you're coaching like you and I, uh, maybe you sell products. If you have issues with how you price your products, that's a big indication of low self-worth. Um, that took me, 
when even when I first entered the coaching realm, that took me a long time to get to grips with, of um, leveling out my worth with the value and, and mm. making that feel comfortable and being at a level that I was comfortable with. I remember. Um, I was going to say I remember our conversation when we had dinner when we were talking about pricing structure and you know those things between us as well. So it's actually really interesting that um, that you say that. Yeah, sorry to butt in. It was just a little flashback. <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree. And I and I think most women feel that way. And I think it's perhaps more prevalent in women as well. Mm. I think self-worth affects men and women equally. I think it affects us in very different ways. Um, and I work primarily with women. Um, but I think this idea as a woman that you can't make lots of money and be a good homemaker or you can't make lots of money and be a good mum. Like, we still have such an outdated narrative of what a traditional and a modern woman look like and how those two mer things merge together. And so if there's any hint of low self-worth, money is the easiest way in terms of your business to sabotage yourself because mm -hmm. you've got all those beliefs and narratives in your mind and tie that in with a little bit of low self-worth and you will find it hard to price yourself the right way. You will undercharge. You won't be selling things because the intention is wrong. Mm -hmm. yeah, or you, don't, you deserve it and another sign would be burnout if if you're somebody that I'm yeah I'm just a really hard worker or you're always doing your business you don't make time to look after yourself maybe this looks a bit little bit more like the traditional self-care kind of side of things but the inability to do that and to work yourself into the ground is, is a good indicator of uh, low self-worth too but also identifying your worth from your business and validating yourself through mm -hmm. your business I'm only as successful as how much money I make or how many clients I work with or how many products I sell. Um, anywhere that you are outsourcing your worth to something else means that you struggle to give that to yourself. And honestly, if you're going to chase it, I used to chase it from relationships. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up hating my face. I spent about 15 years really hating my face, nearly had jaw surgery to break it and straighten it. Um, rearranged my whole wedding to have you know photos from different sides so you would never see the side of my face I didn't like like all of those things I hated that I had real problems with that I felt ugly so mm. my value came from well if I'm in a relationship and that man tells me I'm not ugly then I have value so I didn't care about anything else other than you know before I had those problems with my face, it was academia. I was the good girl at school, that title of being the good girl, of being clever. I used to get a lot of value from that. So then it was my marriage. And then, of course, you're never going to find anything that's going to deeply make you happy or actually make you feel good in the long term if you're giving that power to everything outside of you. So whether it's your business, whether it's your relationship, whether it's what your parents think about you, whether it's how much money you earn, as long as you pin your value on something else, you will mm. never truly have self-worth and believe that you are good enough. Mm. So anything where you're externally putting things out there and you might, so a way that might show up is if it's normal, say you're having a tough month in business, it's normal to not feel great about that. But there's a difference between not feeling great about that situation and making it mean something about you. Mm. Like that's very different. So I think being able to distinguish between that of going, well, it's normal to respond and go, business is shit this month. What am I going to do? Da, 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 have a bit of panic about it. Or that's frustrating. Or could I have done that better? It's normal to assess yourself and have that self-awareness and go, actually, maybe I should work on this. Maybe I could change that. 
But if your business struggles or on the flip side does well, and that makes you feel that you're therefore successful and worthy or you're not successful and you're unworthy, that's where you've got a problem. If it, you know, I know we all treat our businesses like babies and like it is like a, a third child for me to yeah. be like, oh, you know, I just, you know, I, I'm so passionate about it and the people that I work with. But whether my business does well or not does not add or lessen how much I'm worth. So I think mm-hmm. those are a few things that I would say people could kind of, a, sneaky things that might crop up that you wouldn't necessarily think, well, that's related to my self-worth or how I feel about myself, but they're good indicators that maybe that's something you should work on. Mm. And if someone does want to work on these things, going back to like your three steps that you gave at the start of this podcast, is yeah. that a good place for that person to start? Hundred percent. Start with step number one. Take it easy. Um, I think we overcomplicate everything, mm-hmm. and self worth is a, and self love is a hard journey. I have encountered a lot. I may only be thirty, but I feel like I've managed to cram a lot of stuff <laughs> into my thirty years. A lot of experiences. You know, I was divorced at twenty six, anxious breakdown at twenty four, um, miscarriage, toxic relationships, yeah. like so many things. And self-worth and self-love is probably still the hardest thing I've ever had to do because it was the one that required me to face myself Mm. and making peace with yourself is difficult. But in terms of how to do it, it's very simple. And, you know, I don't misconstrue, like I just said, simple with easy. It's not Mm -hmm. easy, it's very hard. But get back to basics. Start with step number one, figure out who you are. If you start finding you're doing these things in your business or if you know you're not a business owner, you're just a, you know, I know there's a lot of, um high value women that listen to this my friend used that phrase again she, she described herself as a high value woman I was like yeah you go on girl yeah I really I like that, that phrase that women. yeah for the women that listen to this that identify as high value women yes yeah. you are and if you don't identify as that yes you are um but for you know for those people listening to this and if you're recognizing in other areas of your life maybe you sabotage relationships a lot of times because we don't think they're worth we're worthy of them or that love of another person um whatever it is just go back to basics strip it back who am i mm-hmm. who am i what's important to me what do i want at a soul level who am i take away everything else what really matters what makes me happy where do i want to be in 50 years time and if you don't know start digging deeper and finding out more about what you like a lot of people you'll go what makes you happy and then they think about it they don't actually know yeah and that's quite a sad state of things that we go well I don't know what makes me happy so yeah get back to basics I've um we were talking about this before I've written a book um that's coming out literally now um and it's called this is who I am seven steps to self-discovery and it's all it's the first one hopefully in a series of three which really does focus on this first stage of self-love, which is who am I and how do mm-hmm. I figure that out? So the book kind of takes you through that process. And it's very much based on all of the training that I've done with my degree and my coaching qualifications, and things like that, but also very much my experience of what really worked for me. I've done the trial and error. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, this works, this doesn't. Don't do that first, do this first. And you're like, I've made a lot of those mistakes of trying to go, full at it and I think people do that too they go right well I'm going to change everything overnight and all you do is overwhelm yourself and you know it's good to be driven and to want to get stuff done and to just go for it take massive action totally agree with that but don't overcomplicate it otherwise then you just paralyze yourself I think 
especially if you're someone that's prone to self-sabotage or procrastination if you put too much in one place you're just not gonna kind of get anything done so start first step figure out who you are things you can use to do that um would be things like journaling I think people as soon as you say journaling they're like ah gosh okay like it again it's become a bit of a a drag people really feel like journaling is a drag now and it doesn't have to be if there's any kind of yeah and 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 I do and I like writing and I like talking so I think that's probably why um but also I think a lot of self-development tools again meditation I know you're a big fan of meditation a lot of these things have these preconceptions of what they look like but also what they must look like to be successful and I think if you're somebody that's never tried journaling then cool listen up but if you're somebody that's tried it and you're like I hate journaling and I'm not going to listen to this advice because I don't want to do it um then I would say have you tried it every which way that you possibly could and it doesn't have to be something you do every day for it to be a really important part of your routine I am very big on routines it's a little bit like my bread and butter that's what I'm Mm -hmm. most interested in it's probably what in terms of setting my clients up for success after coaching um which is what I aim to do. I always view myself as like, I'm here for as long as you need me, but my goal is to give you everything you need to be your own rock. And I I have a lot of people that come to me like, I've got a great support network around me and that's brilliant, but I want to be able to depend on myself. But routines are such a clear and important part of that. And for me, I spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, I think we've got routines all wrong. I think being told to do exactly the same thing every day, exactly the same way, is not best for our little dopamine chasing brains that's not what we want we want a little variety um so if you're sat there thinking well i tried journaling didn't like it because you've tried journaling for 20 minutes every day for a week try answering one journal prompt once a month to start with that might not sound like very much but that one journal prompt could send you down a rabbit hole of Mm. oh my god i've realized this about myself and you might not dread it because you're only doing it once a month And then you might think, well, actually, maybe I could do this once a week. Or you might forever keep it at once a month. That's fine. There's no, like, successful or textbook way you've got to do anything with self-development. I think that's one of the beautiful things about it. And, you know, the phrase personal development is called personal for a reason. Like, you've got to make it unique to you. I can't say this is how you do it. Even in the book, so much of it I've said, get curious ask your own questions, figure out your own way, your own definitions, and and make it what works for you, because that's what's going to give you long term success. Now, don't misconstrue that with, I don't like that. So I'm not going to do it. If something makes you uncomfortable, if something makes you uncomfortable, you're doing the right thing, pursue Mm -hmm. it, keep going with it, you know, but also learn to listen to your gut. If If you genuinely think something's not working with you, it's okay to put a tool down like journaling and go, it doesn't work for me. The question I would ask is, have you tried it every possible way that you can? Mm-hmm. And have you tried it in lots of different variations and, and made your own kind of recipe for success with that? So journaling, I think, is a, a non-negotiable in terms of at least try it, because ultimately you're having a conversation with yourself. So there's nothing that's going to help you develop a sense of self and understanding for yourself more than talking to yourself. Look at what we do when we're when we're dating somebody. Think about like, I don't know, say you're with your partner. I can think straight back to the first date with my partner and the conversations we had. You ask everything. You want to know everything about that person. Yes, you want to know the silly things like what's your favorite color and what's your dream menu. But 
if, if you're like me and you always ask about food. <laughs> um, but, but also you want to know what your dreams and aspirations. What yeah. do you want to do for the next 50 years? What are your values? What's important to you? What, rela- what should a relationship look like to you? When was the last time you asked yourself, what should a relationship look like to you? Mm. When was the last time you asked yourself what your goals and aspirations are and what do you actually want? So if you actually kind of talk to yourself as much as you talk to potential suitors, that makes you sound like an old woman, um, you know, friends, clients, colleagues, like if you actually took the time to engage with yourself, what could you learn? And if you showed the same level of interest as you do with other people, what could you learn? So I think journaling is a great way to do that. And like another variation might be if you're somebody that doesn't like writing, sit and do a voice recording on your phone. Do that instead and listen back to it. Like mm-hmm. don't be put off just because you're not a good writer or you don't enjoy writing or it takes you forever. Type it, write it, talk it out. I don't really care how you do it, but have a conversation with yourself. So journaling is something I would say and just having like a real deep dive. Um, But another thing people could be doing is spend time alone. People Mm. don't do this enough. Um, And there's a lot of noise in life. Everything's going on. You know, you're busy with kids. You're busy with work. You're busy with your friends. You're busy socializing. Maybe even things like you go to the gym, you do whatever. But at the gym, even you're kind of you're concentrating on your workout. I know a lot of people find it very therapeutic going to the gym, but I don't think about things in the gym. <laughs> like I'm focused on what I'm doing and trying to say, Rosie, come on, don't go home. <laughs> Please just give me eight reps and then you can go. Um, and then I feel great afterwards. But actively having time alone and prioritizing time alone is really, really important. Mm-hmm. I think having a level of independence where whatever stage of life you're at, whatever your relationship status and making time to be by yourself is the best thing you can do for your self-worth because you quieten down all the noise. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's a week and you go, oh, <laughs> I'm alone with myself. And the phrase I use is, if you can be okay in a moment where you are nothing to anybody else, then you're always going to be okay. Mm. Now, I don't mean that like, you know, I have a great family, amazing kids, best partner in the world. But in that moment, nobody's thinking about me. No one's with me. I'm here. Maybe I'm sat in my bedroom or I'm about to meditate or I'm in the bath or whatever. I don't mean anything to anybody. Mm. And that sounds dark, but if I can go, and you know what, I'm okay in this moment and I'm okay with just being by myself, that's fucking powerful. Yeah. Like, I, and sometimes just be able to reassure yourself in those moments. But if you don't take that time out to ever quieten down the noise and and just be you, then you'll never have a true sense of who you are. Because mm-hmm. who you are when you're by yourself is who you truly are. Yeah. Like, you know, we everyone puts on different roles and, and that's appropriate. You can't bowl into work and be, I, I can't, when I'm coaching, be mum Rosie. Yeah. When I'm mum Rosie, coach Rosie like when I'm partner Rosie I'm not coach Rosie it's, it's so different there are different variations and that's important and it's a natural part of being a human yeah. adapting to different situations but in that moment if you have like I said it can be 10 minutes a week to go this is just me and it doesn't feel uncomfortable and it will at first mm. but it stops feeling uncomfortable and it starts to feel a bit normal and you can just go yeah I'm just me right now nobody to anybody and that's fine I'm okay with that I'm everything to me 
I resonate with that on a really personal level um, because, well, you know, and pretty much all of my listeners probably will know this as well, if they're OGs around here, they've been in therapy for like the last four or five years. And something that I've worked on in therapy is, and I call it my spiritual connection, my connection to consciousness to my higher self to god to the universe whatever you want to call it and i always say and you know i learned this from my therapist so i can't take all the credit but if i always have that spiritual connect i'm always going to be okay and people might think that's really airy fairy but what spirituality just means to me is being in touch with who i really am at my core and everything that you've yeah. spoken about today, the things I like to do for joy, for fun, what my values are, what's important to me, all of those little things. So whenever I talk about spirituality, I feel like a lot of people can just switch off. But mm. there's only a small minority of people that are really like airy fairy and will use it out of context. But spirituality is just being human, just being yourself. So that space of... um when you mean nothing to no one, I I relate to that on a on a personal level because that's really what I call like my spiritual connection, my connection to myself. And you can take everything away from me but that. And I know I will always be okay if I'm able to always come come back to myself. Um, so I love that yeah. that's something that you think is really important as well. And I'm glad that it resonates. Yeah. Yeah. And um. Sorry. No, that's okay. I wanted to ask. So obviously I know that you're a big advocate for health, fitness, for looking after your well-being. So how do you see self-worth, self-love tying into someone's fitness and well-being journey? Obviously, I see that firsthand and I have like my own views and my own thoughts on that, but I'm really interested in in getting your views. This, I think, is a difficult topic to talk about um, and one that I also have lots of opinions on. And also over the years, my opinions have changed yes. greatly. And I think that's OK. I'm a big advocate for always change your mind, always be questioning things, always be learning and growing. I for me and again, I can only ever speak for me personally. Me personally, fitness and well-being is a huge part of my self-worth because it comes back to having my best interest at heart. Mm -hmm. And I want to be a healthy individual that lives a long life, um, that has energy and vitality. And, you know, I've had various different issues before with binge eating, with not eating. Um, when I was a my early teen years, I had about a year period where I didn't eat. I got down to about six stone. I was tiny. Um, then quite the opposite, when I was in a very unhappy stage in my life, um, was binge eating. We're talking, as I said to you before, Domino's three times a week, medium pizza, four cookies, maybe a bottle of Coke. I would sit and eat all of it to myself. And I was miserable. I didn't even enjoy it. Like, so I've had various different issues with food and the relationship that food has with my body and my value. And when I started coaching, I was a self-love and body acceptance coach. And I spent a lot of time in the body acceptance space. I still do body acceptance work. I love body acceptance work. Um, I have an online course on it. I ultimately, all of my clients need help with body acceptance. As women, we've been 
brought up telling ourselves we should hate our bodies and there's so much wrong with it so it's always going to be a part of the work that I do there are elements of our environment today that I don't think I think perhaps portray themselves as positive and you know morally and on a deeper level they are very important and we should love our bodies we should love ourselves 100% I'm a self-love coach for god's sake I'm gonna tell you that of course no matter who you are what you look like what you weigh what your fitness is like any of that but for me and actually something I also instill within my clients and something I've learned over the years is respect for my body Mm -hmm. and respect I think comes tied in with self-worth and worth generally. If I respect somebody else, that means I value that person. I respect my partner because I value him. I see his value. When you don't respect your body, you don't see its value. And that's a very tricky space to be in because if you don't see the value of it, why are you going to look after it? You're going to abuse it. You're going to do things to it to make it it's going to completely warp your sense of what its purpose is for you. And I think I wrote about this recently on a post that your body is your home. And there's, like you said, it sounds airy fairy, but that's possibly the most grounding thing ever. Surely same as spirituality. We think it's airy fairy to have a spiritual connection, but do you ever feel more grounded than when you're at peace with yourself and you're reminded Mm. that you're alive and you're well, and you can do things like, you know, it's the opposite. It's grounding. But yeah. your body is your home. And I think I've learned that respect for me is something I've never given my body because I've always been chasing what does it look like? What does it look like? What does it look like? What does it weigh? What do other people think of it? Same as with my face. And actually, I, I perhaps even more so with my face is, does that person like it? Do they think I'm ugly? Are they laughing at me? Like, it, I have never respected any of it until I started working on my self-worth and I think when you have a high level of self-worth the narrative is no longer what does my body look like it's what can my body do for me mm-hmm. so I think that switch in narrative is very important and that in itself is aligned with health well-being and fitness mm-hmm. because if my question is I love my body I respect my body what can it do for me I want my body to be able to run for two or three miles on the treadmill. I want my body to be able to lift those 200 kilo weights on the leg press. I want to be able to do a pull-up. For a long time, a pull-up was motivation for me. And again, it's intention. If my intention is I'm going to go to the gym because I need to lose weight because I'm not good enough, then I'm, I'm losing here. But if my body becomes a tool I can use in my life, and the reason I say that is because I moved into my home a couple of years ago. It's the first time I'd lived by myself, just me and the kids. And it's the first time I'd ever had to go in a loft. That was always a job I'd given to like whoever I was with at the time, or I'd been at home, so I'd never had a loft. And I was like, I can't physically lift something up and push it in the loft because I'm not strong enough. I don't have that upper body strength. So my goal in the gym was to be able to do pull-ups. I was mm-hmm. like, I need to be able to do a pull-up. I can pull myself up, I can push things up in the loft so when the narrative around my body was well how does it fit into my lifestyle and how can it complement my lifestyle how can it make me fitter how can it make me stronger how can it make me more able to do things I want to do how can it be more independent my body very much became a marker for my independence because I was like I need to look after myself and that starts with looking after my body 
So mm-hmm. I think people, everyone I meet has body image issues. We've mm-hmm. been taught we should. There is no right or wrong body. All of them are beautiful, deserving of love in their own way. But it is also how you feel about your body is a symptom of your self-worth. The mm-hmm. two are, can't have, they're, they're unbreakable. If you work on your self-worth, you will improve your body image if that's part of your journey. If you work on your body image, you will improve your body image. But if you don't work on your self-worth, it won't stay. Mm-hmm. And that intention is still not right. So I think for me, fitness, well-being is a huge part of my self-worth journey. And it also comes back to energy. Because I feel like everything's energetic. And self-love for me is fucking high energy. And it's yeah. it's bright and it's bold and it's able and it's willing and it's determined. And my body has to reflect that. So mm-hmm. when I go to the gym... I went to the gym this morning and it was the weather. If, if you're listening at time of recording, it's October and it is disgusting here in Wales. The weather has taken a certain turn. It was freezing. Oh, isn't it? Um, it's look, honestly, my alarm went off at um, six o'clock and I was like, no, <laughs> um, no, absolutely not. Do I want to get out? It's really cozy, really warm. Oh, I've got to drive to the gym, do weather. And even on the drive to the gym, I was like, it's freezing. Heating was on like full blast. <laughs> Got into the gym, kept my hoodie on for about three, four sets, which I never do because I'm like the hottest person ever when it comes to working out. And I did it because over the years, and again, with self-love, I've worked on self-discipline. Self-discipline for me is the highest form of self-love. Because again, it comes back to that best interest. I didn't want to go to the gym. Nothing about me felt like going to the gym. But I know I know what my goals are. I know what my values are. I know who I want to be in 50 years time. I know who I want to be tomorrow. All of those things are determined on me being physically fit and healthy today. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to do any of that, but I've worked to have that self-discipline and that best interest, that self-love to make me go. Don't get me wrong. I put buffers in place so that I can't not go and make it harder for myself to not go than to go. Because I think we need that practical motivation. We're human beings at the end Mm -hmm. of the day. But ultimately... I have changed the narrative on not what does my body look like, what can it do for me, and how does that play the role in the life that I want, but also just working on that deeper self-worth to go, I always have my best interests, and I understand that what I do today really does have an impact on what mm-hmm. I do tomorrow. It doesn't mean I don't ever have days to skip the gym and don't. Of course I do. Yeah. Like, absolutely, I do. Me too. I, things <laughs> crop up, I have a bad night. Yeah, it, that's part of life. I don't think that's, that's anything wrong, but... Fitness and well-being and energy in particular, that has to be aligned with self-worth. And, that, and yeah, it's a very important part mm-hmm. of my personal journey. See, for me, I think it's absolutely the foundation. And I don't, I want this to come across in the right way, but I don't see how you can have high self-worth, high self-love if you're not looking after your physical body and that doesn't mean you need to go to the gym and look like a bikini athlete or a bodybuilder but there are certain things that people will do when they value their body and they value themselves and I think if I'm thinking about clients when they come to me they might be in a position that they've got themselves in that they don't know how they got there they don't want to be there and, and like we spoke about um earlier in this episode 
go through identity shifts. So a lot of women will come to me, they've gone through menopause, huge identity mm. shift. They suddenly gain in loads of weight really easily for no reason. They've had children, their children are growing up, they're starting a business. So they're transitioning from being employed to being a business owner. And there's constantly all of these identity shifts that are happening. And with those shifts, if your body and your mind is in the right place, I think all of those transitions that we go through become a lot easier. Um, and I, I think you'll you'll also agree with this because like you said about things being high energy, exercise is high energy. It makes you feel good. Eating good quality food is high energy. And again, this isn't airy fairy. There's like so many scientific research that actually shows like the vibrational frequency of like the good quality foods that you eat over poor quality foods then we take into consideration how that improves your general energy levels throughout the day, your sleep quality. Then that just has a huge knock-on effect on everything that you do because you have more energy to show up as your best self. So you have the ability to think better, the cognitive function improves, your creativity improves, your motivation then improves because your energy is increased. And then we... <laughs> we have all of these these things that are the foundation and if we can really just nail that foundation which is controlling your mind and and your body then the rest becomes a lot easier there's a sh strong link between your gut and your brain and again if we're putting shit quality food into our body we're basically telling our gut to feed your brain all of this bad bacteria that's not good for it and then we wonder why we have brain fog why we've got low mood why we have anxiety and I'm not saying that this is going to cure all of those things, but you will see a massive improvement in all of those unwanted like symptoms, like you mentioned earlier. And I know this because this is from my own personal experience as well. Like I used to call myself lazy or unmotivated and, you know, all of these things. But the moment I actually started to look after my health properly, and I am very fortunate that I've been in a socially acceptable body my whole life despite hating it and despite going to extremes like taking steroids to binge eating to not eating to all of these things myself I've always been in an acceptable body never felt it so from the outside it's quite easy to go oh but Laura it's really easy for you to say that I wasn't healthy on the inside at all and I really struggled with that mental chatter that was telling me you're just not good enough but the moment I started showing up for myself physically I started going oh actually I am capable of doing this and actually I am a lot more confident than I thought I was and then bit by bit you start to build like that um what's the word I'm looking for like data to or not data ah why is the word gone out of my head yeah the evidence the evidence that's the word you build the evidence and then bit by bit that creeps up and then your confidence increases then your self-worth increases and for me, I really do, do think that everything stems from how you look after yourself. And that's more than just in the gym as well. Like everything you mentioned today about who am I? What's important to me? What do I like to do for fun? Like if we're not experiencing those high vibration, those feel good moods, how do we ever expect to have more of that if we're not cultivating the space in the first place for those feelings? Um, 
so yeah so I'm, I'm really glad that we got to cover like the the link with sort of health fitness prioritizing that and how that links to your self-esteem and, and your self-worth because I'm 100% really... I think sorry go, go on. on no no go on you go I was gonna say I really agree with you and I think in, it's funny because eating can seem like the most basic thing yet it can cause so many of us so much struggle and I think it's a really hard thing to face and get under control because you have to do it every day mm-hmm. like it's it's you can't avoid otherwise you know you wouldn't be here yeah. um I I agree with everything that you've said and, and I'm in the same situation as you I'm in a socially acceptable body but at times I've hated my body, I've hated my face. And and whenever I say about my face story, people go, oh, but you've got a lovely face. It's always the same response. And I think that it doesn't really matter what you think or what you say, because if I can convince myself I'm the ugliest person in the world, that's where the problem lies. I used to have anxiety and a lot of my time, my anxiety would portray and manifest as feeling sick. And I remember somebody at the time would said to me, but you know, you're not going to be sick because you're never sick. You feel sick and then nothing happens. I said, I know that, but it feels real. Mm. And that you won't understand unless you've been in that situation. So I think there's something to be said about everything you've just said about actually, regardless of what you look like, nobody's situation is easy. And I think food and our bodies are such a hard thing to master. And you're right. If that's something you can master your mind and your body Mm. and feel in sync and like you're working together, not against each other because you hate your body or you're worried about what it looks like, but you're working as a team. I think that's a massive thing. And I think very simply to, to link everything back together, what you've just said and what we've spoken about, again, it comes back to this issue of best interest. Every mm-hmm. time you put something in your mouth, is this in my best interest? Mm-hmm. Every time you disrespect your body, is this in my best interest? Every time you say something nasty to your body, is this in my best interest? Like, if you can ask yourself that question constantly, you're constantly assessing your self-worth. You're constantly improving your self-love because you're going to start naturally doing things that are in your best interest and moving away from things that aren't. Mm. But I think that's the best way to simplify it. You look at self-worth, self-love, self-esteem, all those different words you've said, and there's that confusion or people go, I don't know what that really means. But if on a very basic level, if you take away one from this thing from this podcast today is whatever you're doing in your job, in your personal life, in your physical health, if you ask yourself, is this in my best interest? Is this what I need to be today for Rosie in 20 years time? Mm. Then that's maybe the best place to start and the easiest way to get your answer. I love that question. And such a simple question, yet so revealing. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. And that to me is what spirituality is, right? Mm. Understanding yourself your body and being in touch with it so the feelings the sensations the movement the food that we eat spending time outdoors and the more and this is just my own experience now but the more I've gone down getting in touch with all those different sides of me and the nature the meditating the journaling the going inwards is uh, the, the more joy I found and the more I've so I found more joy in life and I've realized who I actually am, the things that I enjoy doing. Um, and I've become so much more in touch with myself and just like, I don't give a fuck what anyone thinks anymore. Because like you say, in that space when the no one's there, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, like it's you're, you're talking, aren't you, about everything being in sync. You're feeling yeah. whole and complete. And, and that's a beautiful feeling. I am me, I know who I am, I love who I am, the good, the bad, and the ugly, 
I'm constantly working in my best interest, not to say we don't have bad days, but that's how we, why we put things in place for, for bad days. It's why we do damage control. It's why we work on the good days to make sure it's easier for ourselves on the bad days. We give ourselves that grace. But you're talking about all being in sync and that sense of peace. That's what mm. self-worth is. Yeah. I know who I am, I value who I am. And that's enough. If it's enough for me, it's enough. Yeah. Well, I have loved today's episode. I feel like there is so much that our listeners will be able to take away from this and practically apply. Before we wrap up, though, I know we've touched on it already, but sorry, you've got a book coming out and I feel like we definitely need to talk about this a lot more. So tell us about the book. Where can people find it? I'll make sure it's linked in the show notes as well. But yeah, spill the tea. So, yes, I've been writing this for about a year. Um, I had the idea a little while ago and the book is called This Is Who I Am, Seven Steps to Self-Discovery. And it is about that first stage of self-worth, truly understanding who am I? So it's going to guide you. It's very simple. For people that know me, who have worked with me, I'm no nonsense. I'm no bullshit. I'm not here to overcomplicate things. One of the things I've said today, keep it simple. Mm -hmm. This is not a book that's going to take four months of picking it up and putting it down to read it's meant to be easy practical actionable and for you to come away with it being like actually I have quite a strong sense of who I am right now of what's holding you back of what's important to you of what you want of where you're going like it's for people if anyone's feeling lost in any element of their lives if they feel they have a low sense of self-worth if they feel that something's missing if something just doesn't feel quite right somebody that just generally wants to improve how they feel, their confidence, their happiness, all of those things, this is what I've written it for. It's it's for anybody who wants that. And it's very simple, step-by-step guide, hold your hand through it, won't take you years to complete. But ultimately, what you can learn from the book is, and that's why I've called it, this is who I am, the confidence to proudly say, this is who I am. I know that person. I'm really starting to value that person. I know where that person's going. Love that. It sounds like it's going to be an absolutely incredible book. One that is going to be really useful as well. Um, So I'm really excited for the release of that. Well done and congratulations because I am sure a lot of hard graft has gone into the idea, the planning, the creating, the putting the content together, the production. I can't can't imagine it's been easy. (laughs) It's been quite a journey and I've enjoyed it. But yeah, trust me, writing a book is <laughs> it's harder than you'd think. <laughs> um, but I'm excited to get it out there. It's been a bit it's been a little project. So it's um, it's nice to finally think, oh, my gosh, this is going to be in somebody's hands. And mm. this could be exactly to read at, at that point. And um, so, yeah, I'm quite excited to see what people think of it. Yeah. And I'll make sure it's all linked in the show notes. But Rosie, where else can people find you? How can they get in touch? Um, I mainly hang out on Instagram. That's my little space of the social media world that I like. Um, so I'm v.growth.guru on there. And um, I'll send Laura my website and everything. So people want to check out what kind of things I offer um, from, you know, online courses to one-to-one coaching to the book. Mm-hmm. Um, even little habit trackers and PDFs you can download to get you kind of on the right track so yes either through my website or drop me a dm i'm always happy to hear uh, what people think and they can come and check out my podcast as well which actually laura's got an episode on there we talked a lot about diet and fitness fundamentals it was a great episode um as well as just general ch- tips advice 
help in terms of yeah being your best self without mm. the kind of fluffy nonsense advice just giving you straight talking practical stuff you can go on with thank you and please make sure that if you're listening you're going ahead and you're connecting with rosie give her a follow make use of all of the resources make sure you buy the book when it's out as well and also just a big thank you for everyone tuning in today's episode it means so much to me so much to our guests if you're able to subscribe rate share the podcast episode it really helps us to get the word out of what we're doing and it just helps us reach the people that need to be reached so it would mean a lot from the bottom of my heart and all of our guests as well to do that and thank you again Rosie it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today I've really enjoyed this thank you for having me